Good morning to you all, and I invite you to open scripture with me, book of Genesis chapter 18. I'd like to read a couple of verses, starting on the 16th. Genesis 18, verse 16 and on. Hear the word of God. Then the man set out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me, and if not, I will know. So the man turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. It's interesting, all the connections that we have in this passage this morning to the passage that we had last week, if you're here, on Genesis 18, verses 1 through 15, that the Lord appeared to Abraham with two angels, and they were welcomed by Abraham and Sarah so that they would have food in their house. And the Lord came to affirm once again the promise of the serpent crusher that was about to come through Abraham and Sarah. And if you remember... The Lord was asking questions in verses 1 through 15. Where is Sarah, your wife? Verse 9. Or when Sarah was laughing, the Lord asked, Why are you laughed? The Lord was raising and asking questions. But now in the passage that we are going to look today, it is Abraham that is asking questions to the Lord. Verse 23, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Or 25, the last part, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So in the last passage, we saw the question, is there anything too difficult for the Lord? The Lord is asking this question to Abraham. 
But now Abraham is asking the Lord, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? There's also some kind of noise that unites these two passages. First, Sarah is laughing. There's this noise that provokes the Lord's attention. But now we have another kind of noise in this passage that we're looking today. It is the cry coming from Sodom and Gomorrah. You see the contrast? Laughing here. And now a cry asking the Lord for justice. Because of all the things that Sodom and Gomorrah were doing against the Lord himself and against innocence. We see in the last passage last week, there's this message of hope. Hope to Abraham and Sarah. Joy, blessing. Text that we have this morning, it's not a message of hope. It is a message of judgment, a message of justice. The Lord is about to bring judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah. Last week, we saw Abraham. He is the quiet and gracious host, welcoming the Lord and the two angels into his house. But now in this passage, we'll see that Abraham is not the quiet one, gracious. He is the bold inquisitor, intercessor before the Lord. But I want to ask your attention here for these two rhetorical questions that we had first and last week. Is there anything too difficult for the Lord? And now the question that we have here from Abraham to God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? I'd like to give you the main idea so that we could see the text together. Here it is. As God's chosen one, Abraham stood before the judge, beseeching the city's sparing for the sake of a few righteous. As God's chosen one, Abraham stood before the judge, beseeching the cities, sparing for the sake of a few righteous. That's what Abraham's doing in this passage. And he's doing so as the chosen one of God. It is not the name that, or the title that Abraham has given himself. The Lord said, I have chosen you. Verse 19. I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. So before the Lord brings judgment to Sodom and Gomorrah, the Lord understands that it's very important that Abraham is informed of God's plans. Because in Abraham, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 
So if there's a nation that is going to be cut off of the blessings, Abraham is also the mediator of giving the blessings or giving the curses. And the Lord says, so that's why I am going to reveal to Abraham what I'm about to do. The Lord decided before I bring judgment, I will let Abraham know what I am about to do. Why so? Because I have chosen him. Because I know him. That's the Hebrew language here. It's not only a matter of choosing. The Lord's saying, I know Abraham deeply. I have a relationship with Abraham. I love him. Just so you know, that's the same and very word that is used about the intercourse of Adam and Eve. It is said, Adam knew Eve and she conceived. That's the deep relationship that the Lord is pursuing with his people. That he is pursuing with you all, with all of us. So that the Lord can say, I know him. He is mine. I've chosen him. We have this relationship. He is on a special position before me. That's why I'm going to tell him before I do anything else. Or verse 16. Then the man sat out from there, and they looked down toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The word is not here, but Abraham is literally walking with God. We just saw that in the book of Genesis, Enoch. He walked with the Lord, and he was no more. That's the kind of relationship that the Lord was pursuing, even from the Garden of Eden with Adam. And he failed. And the Lord keeps calling his people, calling his elect to come and to walk with him. And here it is. Abraham is walking with the Lord, but not only walking with the Lord, he is going with them to set them on their way. Abraham is the one in charge to do the next step to the Lord. That's the kind of relationship that Abraham is in. He is playing a very crucial, important role in God's plans. Verse 17 and 19. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? He's an important guy. All the blessings will come through Abraham, in Abraham. He is the mediator. He's the channel. For I have chosen in 19 that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. You have great powers, great responsibilities. 
He is called, commanded by the Lord to command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. The way of the Lord will be kept by Abraham. The blessings to all the nations will come if Abraham keep the way of the Lord. Commanding his children, his household, the serpent crusher will come through the line of Abraham if Abraham commands his children to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the promise will come to him. Abraham is informed of God's plan. The only part that the Lord is, is speaking to Abraham is verse 20. Verses 17 and 19 is not a communication between the Lord and Abraham. It is the inner thought of the Lord, maybe talking to the angels, maybe talking to himself. That's a revelation for us. And now the Lord speaks to Abraham. Verse 20, the Lord said, Abraham, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Same word. I will deeply know. I will see in person what's going on there. That's the kind of judgment that the Lord brings to all people. It's not a mere, simple, external, superficial way of judgment. The Lord judges because he knows. He deeply knows. And we know that, right? Psalm 139 says, Lord, how can I run from you? Where can I go? Even the words of my lips, you know it all before it comes to my tongue. The Lord searches hearts. Do you know that? That the Lord is here with us today, the same Lord. And he knows all our hearts, all the inner thoughts, all the motivations. I remember I was preaching in Brazil more than seven years ago. It was before Sabrina and I, we got engaged. And I was preaching on Psalm 139. And I was preaching the same message. The Lord knows your heart very deeply. He knows your very thought right now. And a couple of years later, Sabrina and I, we were engaged. And she was like, do you remember when you preached on Psalm 139? I was like, yeah, I think so. And she was like, oh boy, that day, the Lord revealed to me that he knows my thoughts. I was like, why so? And she was like, when I was hearing you preaching, I saw you preaching on our small local church, no mics, no audio, nothing, just Screaming so people could hear from the back. 
And she was like, wow, the women that marry Skaiki will be blessed. And at that moment, I said, the Lord knows right now what you're thinking. And she was like, okay, Lord. And then the rest is history, you know. Brothers and sisters, the Lord knows. He knows perfectly. He knows everything that you are here, what you're thinking right now. If you thought there was a good joke or a bad joke, if the sermon's going well or not, he knows everything that you're thinking right now. That should tell us something. The way we approach the Lord. We cannot hide anything for bad or for good. That's the kind of relationship that Abraham has with the Lord. And even so, we are told that Abraham stood before him. Look at verse 22. So the man turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near And said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Can you imagine that? That's the kind of Lord that is before Abraham. And the Lord just told him what he is about to do, judgment. The angels go to see whether it is true what's going on in Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord stood there. In person, and Abraham approaches. And the text says very clearly, he drew near. And he asks, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? That's a boldly approach. He's asking questions to the Lord, not because he is distrusting the Lord, but because he knows who the Lord is. And he knows that the Lord only do what is right. And he asks questions. And he even gives a supposition to the Lord. What about a situation like this? And the Lord, our Lord, so gracious, he responds to this kind of conversation. He could well say it like, you're talking about Abraham. I am the Lord. You know that. But the Lord stood before him. If I find a Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And Abraham, Abraham goes on. Behold, verse 27, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I who am but dust and ashes. 
Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, but I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again, but this once. Suppose there are 10 found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way. When he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. You see the level of relationship that is going on here? Abraham is the mediator interceding for a city filled with sinners. You know, Genesis 14, Abraham was the one that rescued these people from that powerful king on the land. Abraham knows that they're wicked. And he's asking for mercy through judgment. And he knows there's a few righteous there, Lot and some of his family. The Lord is being asked by Abraham, but Abraham is asking these questions because he trusts the Lord, not because he's doubting his justice. Abraham is pleading, interceding, begging, beseeching, despairing of the righteous, a few righteous, but he is also caring for the wicked. But we have a problem here. We have a problem here. What is the problem? The problem is that we cannot read this passage as if Abraham is righteous himself. Abraham knows that. He said it. Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. I am who but dust and ashes. He knows who he is. He knows where he was rescued from. You remember this. Genesis 11 and 12. Abraham was rescued and called by the Lord out of their idols and paganism. That's why he can be the intercessor for these kind of people, sinners. And he is interceding for a few righteous. Also, we know that verse 19 was never fulfilled by Abraham. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. We have just seen like a few weeks ago the shortcomings of Abraham. We know the story in the next few chapters, the shortcomings of his children, the shortcomings of Israel. They 
were not able to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice. On the contrary, they were doing evil things throughout the Old Testament. And the question is, Abraham, are you going to apply the same question that you're asking the Lord about Sodom to yourself? Shall not the judge of all earth do justice? Or the question to all of us this morning is, who can stand before the judge of all? Who can stand before the judge of all? Who can come and say, I can stand because I'm 100% right? Not Abraham, not his children. No one. No one can stand before the judge of all. And if the Lord is just, he's going to do justice, to bring judgment. Scripture says, the prophet, Lord, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. That's the kind of Lord that we are serving this morning. The eyes of the Lord are so pure that he cannot look onto evil. Can you imagine this? The wrongdoings, injustice, sin, evil. Or as the psalmist says, righteousness and justice are what? The foundation of God's throne. If there's a foundation that maintains the throne of God, it's his righteous and his justice. That's why Isaiah, when he came before the Lord and he saw the revelation of God and the throne of God and the angels singing, he was like, woe is me. I cannot stand before him because of his righteousness and his justice. Another psalm says, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? Imagine if the Lord had a record of all our wrongdoings, all our sins, all of our bad words, all of our evil thoughts, all of our wrong actions. Who can stand before this Lord? Or as we read after the prayer of confession, the wicked will not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of righteousness. Even so, the prophet Jeremiah comes to say in chapter 5, go up and down the streets of Jerusalem. Look around, consider, search through her squares. If you can find but one person who deals honestly and seeks the truth, if you can find one person, I will forgive the city. What? It's similar to the passage that we're reading. Abraham is saying, Lord, if there's 50, 45, 40, 35, 30, if there's 10, would you spare the whole city because of that? 
That's what the Lord is saying years later to the prophet Jeremiah. If there's but one, not ten, one, I will forgive the city. But Israel's sin was so deep that there was no one. The prophet says in chapter 15, And the Lord said to me, Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Send them away from my presence. You see that? Even if these two men, friends of God, faithful, even if Moses and Samuel were begging, praying for the people as they were in their, in their time, I would not go out to these people. That's the problem. That's not only Abraham's problem. That's not only Sodom's problem. That's our problem. How can you stand before the judge of all? Have you answered this question? Have you asked yourself this question? How can you stand before God? How can you have a relationship with this righteous and just And I hope we know the answer. The answer is Jesus. And that's the main idea. As God in the flesh, Jesus stands before the judge, having accomplished the world's redemption for the sake of not a few righteous, for the sake of a multitude of sinners. Is that your Savior? Why is Jesus the answer? Why is Jesus way better and perfect, the mediator, than Abraham? Because Abraham, in this passage, he is informed of what God is doing or about to do. He is informed. Jesus is not informed. He is the revelation itself. He came in the flesh, not only to tell what he's about to do, but to do what none of us could ever do. He came in the flesh. He's better than Abraham because, of course, Abraham is pleading to God because of Lot and his family in Sodom and Gomorrah. He's praying because of his kindred, because of his relatives. Jesus is a better mediator because he pleads not for relatives, but for sinners, for wicked that were so far away from him. But he came for them. Jesus is better than Abraham because Abraham is pleading to God so that the city would be spared, so that there's no judgment and they can still live. He's worried about their bodies, their lives for now. But Jesus, he pleads with God, not only for this life, but for their eternal destiny. For the eternal fire that is about to come. Jesus is a better intercessor and mediator than Abraham because Abraham can only approach God to intercede with his bare words. 
Jesus' intercession is not only with his words, but with his blood. If you're a Christian here, know this. Jesus is praying for you right now. And he's not praying only with his mouth, with his words. He is always pointing the Father back to what he did, his own blood, body and blood. That's the kind of mediation that the Lord does for his people. The question is, Lord, Abraham asks, will you put the righteous to death with the wicked? That's exactly what the Lord did in Jesus. Abraham was saying, please do not put the righteous to death with the wicked. And years later, the Lord says, that's exactly what I'm about to do. That's the only way to forgive sinners. It is putting the only righteous one to death for the wicked so that the wicked would be justified. You see that? None of you would beg for the Lord, please, my children, do not do it with my children. Babies. The Lord saying, I am going to put the righteous to death. And that's my son. That's my very son for the sake of a multitude of sinners. That's what Hebrews says, chapter 4. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to this throne of grace, the same throne that is righteousness and justice, can be a throne of grace if you approach God through Jesus. That's a throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews even says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was hurt. He was hurt because of his reverence, because of his righteousness. He was hurt so that you, Ventura, could be heard today. So that your prayers, so that our songs, so that our offerings, so that our gathering would be meaningful because Jesus died. Do you know that, that you're here and you can pray and the Lord can hear you and respond to you? Because of Jesus, you can boldly approach. You can stand and say, Lord, I'm not coming in my name, but it's in the name of Jesus. And you see, I'm not dead. 
The Lord hasn't consumed me. I'm still here. He heard me. He wants me. I'm reconciled because of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 says, He's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Raise your hands if you're a mom and you're here. I know moms specifically, they live for their children. They pray for their children. With all your weaknesses, but your body is changing because of your children, and you're giving your life for your children. Hebrew is saying that's what Jesus is doing. He lives eternally for what? For you. For you, believer. He lives to make intercession for you. What is Jesus doing in heaven? Just chilling out? He's praying for you. That's the kind of mediator you need. And maybe perhaps you're saying in your heart, wow, I cannot see. What is Jesus praying? How much is he praying for me? Does he pray more for one person than for another? Is Jesus aware of all my needs? Because it doesn't look so like... I've been here. I've been coming to the throne of grace. But where's the mercy that I'm looking for? There's no response. We cannot see, but we can trust. There was a man, a pastor in the 1800s, and he wrote a devotional, Robert Murray McShane. And he said this, Believer, imagine that Jesus Christ was there in the next room praying for you right now. Imagine here, Ventura. You know the pastor's office here? Imagine if Jesus was there right now praying for you and me. How would it change your life? All the fears that you brought here this morning, all the doubts, all the anxiety, all the frustration, all the laments, all the troubles outside, problems in your family, in your heart, with your wife, spouse. If you could hear Jesus praying for you right now, oh, I'll tell you, you wouldn't fear anything. You would not fear anything else. But he said, what's the difference? He is praying right now. And maybe you're asking, how can I know? Give me, give me, preacher, just a little bit of taste of what a prayer of Jesus looks like. Oh, I'll give you. We have this in scripture. John 17 the Lord says, O oh, righteous Father, 
even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name. The same language of Abraham. I know him. I have made known to them your name and I will continue. He is promising to you, believer, I will continue to make the Lord's name known to you. That the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What is Jesus saying? I want, Father, that the same love you have for me, my believers would feel the same. The same love that the Father has for Jesus is the same love that the Father loves you. Do you believe this? Can you believe it? As we are coming to the end, what are the applications and implications for us? That's the main idea of application for us. Abraham Jesus, and now the church, we here, as Christ's body, the church stands before the judge, proclaiming the good news of redemption for the sake of more sinners yet to come. That's what the church is doing. That's what the church has been doing throughout the centuries. If you are part of the church, if you are a member of the body of Christ, you can stand before the judge and you can proclaim the good news of redemption to those sinners that judgment is coming. But there's the good news. There's good news of relationship and restoration. What are the implications for us? We saw Abraham was praying and the Lord responded, saving Lot and his children. We saw Abel was killed, chapter 4. And the Lord said, the blood of Abel is crying out from the land. And he is going to respond this. The Israelites in the book of Exodus, they are captive and they are crying for 400 years so that the Lord would bring restoration and judgment. The Lord responded. The Lord responds prayers. Let me emphasize this to you. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you have been a Christian for many, many years. And maybe there was a time that you believed that the Lord answered prayers. But now, you're not as confident anymore. You cannot approach his throne. You don't even pray. I want to encourage you. Pray. This text the entire scripture is encouraging us that we have a Lord that hears prayers. And there's no one better than Jesus to pray for us. And he invites us to pray with him for anything. If it's a problem in your marriage, if it's salvation of sinners, if it's your salvation, anything, 
bring through the throne. Prayer is such a privilege and a blessing to come in a private audience before the Lord of all. And he welcomes you. And he says, just bring your issues. That's what Jesus says for us in Luke chapter 18. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And you know the parable, the widow begging, begging to that unrighteous judge. And the Lord is saying, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over then? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? That's interesting. Find faith on earth? But Jesus is talking about prayer. He connects faith and prayer. Prayer is trusting the Lord. If you are a part of the church of Christ, Jesus is saying, the people that are part of my body are those that are crying to me day and night. Are we? Are we praying? What are we praying about? Applications in terms of our families. Abraham was supposed and commanded to guide his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Parents, do you know that the way you command your children have eternal consequences? And the Lord uses this to bless children. And finally, do you have a relationship with the Lord through Christ? The intimate relationship that Abraham had with the Lord and the kind of relationship that Jesus prayed about so that you would have the same relationship with God. It's not only attending church, not only doing stuff, not only reading your Bible, not only praying. It is about relationship. There's a lot of people that I know and that I know that you know that prayers a lot and read the Bible a lot, but there's no relationship with God. What is the focus? Stand before the judge and pursue a relationship with him. And that's what we're doing here this morning, right? Pursuing Jesus together. Let me finish with the conclusion. As God's chosen one, Abraham stood before the judge, beseeching the sparing of the city for the sake of a few righteous. Abraham himself, just like all of us, was not righteous himself. He was looking forward to the perfect intercessor to come. Jesus, God in the flesh, came to do what none of us could do, but only God could. He rescued us thoroughly and lives to pray for us. Now you and I, the church, the body of Christ, God's chosen and rescued people, we are called to stand before God and to proclaim the gospel to one another so that reconciliation would reach all the ends of the earth. Are you going to join this? Have you been reconciled to God? 
Are you right with God in Christ? Are you standing before him for the sake of others? Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we can boldly approach, but not because of us. If Christ's justice and righteousness wasn't covering us, we would be naked before you. We would just run away, just like Adam in the garden. But we've been covered. We've been clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And we can approach you. Oh, Lord, teach us. Teach us the importance of the church, the importance that we are having here. The songs, the prayer, the preaching, the offering, the gospel is going forward, and we can make more people come. Help us to minister to one another and to have this relationship with you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Now, thinking about the message and what Kaiki said about being able to stand before the presence of God, I want you all to stand to hear these words of blessings. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.